The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and hosts. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to another fun, exciting, action-packed edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny. I just realized this podcast is going to come out. On the border of September and October, I better start fucking working on a uh, Cemetery Slammers Part 2 episode, huh? Enough about me. How the fuck are you guys? I hope you guys are doing well. This episode, I speak to a 25-year cop in the Pacific Northwest. He's had a uh, a storied career. He had some uh, struggles in his career. We talk about that. Leads into some other topics, and uh, he has some really solid advice I wish we could have talked longer. I kind of ran into a time issue at the very end. We still got a long conversation and talk about some resiliency stuff, a lot of great stuff, had some laughs along the way. I think you guys will enjoy the podcast. But before we get into it, big, huge, awesome thanks to our good friends over at officerprivacy.com. As you guys know, they have been longtime supporters of this podcast. And frankly, I am a supporter of them. I am a paying customer I believe in what they're doing. I hate the lack of privacy in our world. Everything's just out there. It's very hard to be a private person. Your information, whether you like it or not, and you have very little control over it, is on people search sites. It just shows up without your consent. It's just there on these fucking people search sites. Well, what officer privacy does is they remove you from these sites. They have a do-it-yourself option where they give you the tools and know-how how to do it. Or what I do, because frankly I'm lazy and I'm busy, I sign up for their premium service. They do it for me. I filled out a short, simple form. They've gone through and they delete my information from these people search sites. If I show up again, which is possible, guess what? They go back through, they continue to monitor it, and they remove you from those sites again. It's a great service. I highly recommend it for anybody like me, if you value your privacy, you don't want weirdos looking you up after a bad call, you know, I know how you guys are. Maybe you got an exit stock shit. I don't know. There's lots of reasons for you not to want your information just out there. I mean, how many of us use fake names on Facebook and Instagram? It's not enough. Officerprivacy.com. On that note, we'll play a little bit of music. How about, well, I don't know. Let's play uh, Seconds to Say. And we'll be right back to the podcast.
Now coming to us from the People's Republic of China. I mean, the Pacific Northwest. I have the man, the myth, the legend, Fletch. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for having me on. Anytime, man. Uh, Fletch has been a is a long time first time. He's been sliding into my DMs for quite a while, and uh, we got to chat the other day. I'm like, fucking, you need to come on. You've got some stories to tell. You've got some experience. We need to hear all about you. First and foremost, here's what we need to know first. The first way we're going to get deep inside you tonight is what are you having to drink? So right now I'm having a, a bib and Tucker bourbon neat and it's delicious. Okay. I don't know what the fuck you said. Is a bib and Tucker a kind? Yeah, that's a kind of bourbon from Kentucky. I would highly recommend it's delicious in Tucker. When you said like bib, this is what comes to mind. You said bib and I thought of like a baby and then you said Tucker and I thought of like one of the guys that fucking tucks his dong in. And then I thought like, well, maybe it's like, maybe I was like, you know, cause there's the whole thing where like the, I, I, there was a meme going around of like a firefighter that just like a baby. And I was like, okay, maybe that's what bib and Tucker is. And when you said fine, is that a way to drink it? Or is that like it's uh neat? I'm drinking it neat, neat. with no uh yeah, no uh, ice. I, yeah. Okay. So you're fucking you're a snob, you're an aficionado, you fucking you're a bourbon guy. Yeah, I'm a bourbon guy. Uh I visited another country last year, uh Scotland, and these uh I went on a scotch distillery tour, and the guy was like, What's your favorite uh Whiskey, because that's what they call it there. What's your favorite whiskey? And I said, bourbon. And I think the guy wanted to deck me right then and there because I'm being bluntly honest with him. Like, yeah, I like bourbon more than I like your whiskey there. I I, I do not understand scotch. I do like Jambo. I, I really like Jameson. I know it's like a fucking everybody's had Jameson. It's not anything fancy pants, but I really... I don't know. Maybe it's the the Irish in me. I don't know because I'm an Irish. Well, yeah, well, that's that's all. Oh, and that's the other thing he said. If you'd said Irish whiskey, he would have ejected me immediately. Uh, no, it's it, Scotch has got different. You got Highland, you got Lowland, you got Ilse, you, just, you know the you got different kinds over there. You got some that are kind of peaty. You got some that are smooth. It, it, it you know, you just got to enjoy it, you know, and you enjoy it the way you like to drink it on the rocks, neat, whatever. Uh, yeah. Fucking enjoy it, you know? And uh, yeah, just live life. Just enjoy it, you know? Okay. I'm picking up hints of Canadian in your accent or possibly Midwest. Are you originally from the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. Born and raised. Absolutely. Really? Born and raised there. Yeah, but you got a good ear though. I I I appreciate that. I like to do uh, impressions. We might do some. I could do a Beavis and Butthead impression maybe later on if it fits. You know, um, I'm such a simple guy. Like when I see a comic that does impressions, that's all I need. If there's a comic out there doing impressions, I fucking lose my shit. Like uh, Frank Can- Frank Caliendo, I like him a lot. He I've is amazing. Okay. But he kind of does the same. He has like the same seven or eight guys, and he's really good at those seven or eight guys. Yeah, but it's like, all right, man. I, I he could probably do John of, Madden from Heaven. You know, I'd oh, like to see could. him do yeah. John Madden from Heaven. You know, and the boom and something. You know, he yeah, and 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 he's got that John Gruden. You know, when John Gruden wins his lawsuit against the NFL, 
uh, coming up here. He could, uh, you know, yeah, he should. Yeah, he's got. He knows what he's good at, and he he sticks to it. It's uh, yeah, that guy. He's he's fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, I love all the impressionists. Um, <clears throat> um, unfortunately, you know, some of them though end up in, you know, who's that one? A Hollywood actor guy. Um, his name's a, Kevin Spacey. The guy was a master impressionist, but he's just a fucking weirdo, though. You know, it's yeah, a shame. Yeah, little little weird there. I I also feel like I do a good Beavis and Butthead, so we may have to do like well, we might have the listeners have to decide who did the better one. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay, there, uh, Lenny. No, that one sucks. Oh, I, Never mind. That fucking suck. I, that shit out. That was terrible. I don't even have to do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Up, butthead. <laughs> ah, all right, fart knocker. That wasn't too bad. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. I used to be, you know, it's one of those things when I've seen it more, I'm better at it. Like I can do, well, I think I can do Cartman, but I really can't. I, you know, sometimes I think I can do Butters and I really can't from South Park. But anyway, we've just fucking embarrassed ourselves. We should probably yeah, start we've gone fucking down, talking we've gone about down believing this. Already. Is, it's all good. You haven't heard the, this yet, but that moment may have been worse than the podcast I did with Toby. And then a podcast that it was Saul in a car over a weekend. It could be, it could be worse, but we'll see. Okay. Let's talk about you, man. How did Fletch get into policing? What's your story? So I come from a, a, a service family. My grandfather worked for uh, uh, the New York fire department um, for a long time. Um, and then my old man um, got into the army and did 20 years in the army and uh, i'm the youngest of uh two uh i've got two older siblings and those those two are engineers and so i'm the black sheep being the cop in the family so no law enforcement uh from my family right um i was in high school kind of in like a crisis of like already in high school like what am i want to be when i grow up and i did a ride along with a highway patrol officer and I was fucking hooked like a junkies hooked on the oxy. I was hooked. It was, there was no turning back. And, uh, I did everything I could from that day forward to prepare myself for a police career. I was already pretty good in school. You know, I played sports, I played football, played baseball. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I liked being outside. I liked variety. Um, I'd had some office jobs. I'd had a construction job and said, this fucking sucks. <clears throat> so, um, went to college, um, got my degree. God bless my parents. They put me through a good university and I got Sounds a like degree white privilege to me, buddy. Uh, yeah, I, I've, I, I've, I've been flexing that white privilege to the last three years. Let me tell you. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I know we middle-class family, you know, and my, you know, my mom went back to fund that for my siblings and I, um, and I feel really, really blessed for that. I feel very grateful for that. Um, one of the things I did when I was there in school because i got like a criminal justice major is i did an internship with a sheriff's department 
in their detective um, homicide unit. And that's where I met my career mentor. And we're friends to this day. And he was um, an invaluable resource for me with teaching me just the little nuances about report writing, uh, nuances about just the job. Like he, he was the first one who said, hey, you're going to have about two or three people that you can really trust and everyone else is going to fucking stab you in the back. And I'm a naive early 20s guy. I'm like, what? I thought this was like a brotherhood, you know, like, oh, no, 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 no. So he 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 taught me very early on um, about that and just basic things I've carried through with my career. He goes, you're going to need to take constructive criticism and the learning never stops. And he's absolutely right. I see the malcontents and the people who fail in this job and they get defensive. They can't grow. Um, I might go down a rabbit hole if I do this, if I get going no, on that too far. Dude, go fucking down that rabbit hole because – it, we've been kind of, I don't know, tickling the taint of that subject. Uh, I feel like a few <laughs> times on the last few podcasts and we haven't really breached on it, but there, there's something to that. And I, I don't know specifically, I, I don't want to say it's necessarily only policing, but I, I do feel like there was some guys that would have been just fucking fine if they were willing to accept that they fucked up. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And I've been that guy who was defensive. I've been that guy who blamed other people for my fuck ups, right? I got to look in the mirror at the person who's responsible for those for, for fucking up. And, and, and I challenge, you know, anyone listening to this, you know, you've got someone with an attitude problem right now. Um, you know, if they're being defensive, you know, they're in that shell right now. You know, I don't know the way to unlock it, but just be that example of, you know, just owning your shit yourself, right? Just lead by example with that person, mentor that person, I suppose. Um, I think he had what Chester on a few episodes ago. Yeah. And uh, I loved how he said something and is straight out of the San Jose FTO model. You know, when he's giving someone feedback or critique, it was positive, negative, positive. That's the the that's the the bedrock of San Jose FTO. When you have someone who has negative performance on something, you know, they fucked up a traffic stop. Let's say uh, your uniform looked immaculate on that traffic stop. Uh, let's see, uh, you went past the B pillar. Um, you exposed your gun to the driver. Um, you uh, you had your back to the you, you didn't you didn't control the passengers movements in the car, whatever. Right. Officer safety fuck ups. And then you end with like, uh, I told you what a fuck up you were on that call. And you said, yes, sir, you're absolutely right. So you have great attitude, you know, positive, negative, positive something. Right. Um, I would take I would take 100 guys who may be marginal performers, but they've got a good fucking attitude over someone who's the best shot, the best investigator, the most talented cop, but he's a fucking malcontent. Um, I kind of draw that from playing sports, from being in this industry, this job for over 25 years. 
um, from, you know, coaching and, and seeing guys, you know, with just tremendous can do attitudes, they're the ones who rise above. They're the ones that lift up organizations. It's the malcontents that just drag it down. And, um, yeah, they can really, they can really fuck up organizations. Um, I don't know the key to unlocking it though. Um, but you know, just, they're just own your shit. Just own your shit. I know it sounds like I'm scolding, but just own your shit. Take responsibility for your shit. When you fuck up, raise your hand. Um, I learned that very quickly, uh, after my, um, one of my career, uh, hiccups on, owning my shit and being the first one to say, Oh, you know what? I, I fucked that up. You know, um, if I could, if I could jump in real quick here, I think, and this is just my opinion on this and I could, I could definitely be off base with this, but I think sometimes, you know, we, we talk about, you know, a drug addict, they're not going to stop until they're ready to stop. And I think, uh, not being a piece of shit per se, but, like you have to be ready and in a place to hear that you fucked up. Like, and and I think that's the tough thing is we all have a friend that goes out and we really like them, but fuck, they get in their own fucking way and they will not listen to anything anybody says, no matter how good the advice is. And right. they, they have to be ready to fucking hear it. Now I, that doesn't mean that you just stop telling people you know, or trying to mentor people to do better or, you know, that you don't try to lead by a good example, but ultimately, you know, the old saying, you can only lead a horse to water, right? It just, you can't make people take that right turn unless they are ready to take that right turn. And I don't think it matters in whatever it is. I personally, I think that depression, anxiety, you know, work issues, drug addiction, uh, gambling, anything unless that person is ready, like you can, you can push and help, but unless they're ready for it, they're not going to do it. You can't make somebody do something that they're not ready to do. And I, yep. I think that's just one of those things. If, if you're listening to this and maybe you don't think you have an issue with anything, be mindful of that. You know, I, I think, I don't know. We all kind of, and me too. I'm not saying like, I'm, I've trust me. I don't have fucking life figured out. Trust me. But the more I think the more self-aware you can be about those things, you could be a little more receptive to, oh, I'm a douchebag. Now, like I wear uh, I wear like glasses that a teenage boy would wear. And a lot of people are like, you're a grown man. You shouldn't wear those. I'm not ready to listen to him. Specifically, lenses. fuck you, Pizza Tony, and fuck you, Saul. I'm never going to change. I love my glasses, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but I, I did want to kind of go on that quick rant about the yeah, receiver no, has to be fucking ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and it, and again, drawing from a little bit of personal experience is someone can get in a, you know, absent all of those bad addictions you just listed. I think if someone gets locked into a victim mentality um, or, you know, they, they, it's everyone else's fault, but mine kind of an attitude um, they get, they got to get out of that rut, but they have to, like you said, they got to have the self-awareness to go, okay, 
yeah, I've been a bitch lately. I've I've been acting like a fucking victim all this time. I gotta stop acting like a fucking victim, and I gotta I gotta grow the fuck up, and I gotta own this shit, and I gotta whatever to atone for it, and you know, and grow from it, you know, and learn and and put that put that in the rearview mirror. Um, but that was the thing that my mentor taught me though, is, is, you know, if you can apply constructive criticism, you will go far in this career. And I've made it 25 years so far. And hopefully in just a few more years, I can retire and start collecting a pension. Right. Um, that's, you know, it, and I still got, I'm still healthy. Um, it, and it's, I don't think it's accidental though. Um, I've been fortunate in where I've worked um, by that to my brothers and sisters out there who work in large call to call to call to call shitholes. God bless you guys. Um, I, I am in awe of your resilience of your, um, ability to do that day in and day out. Um, yeah, I, I, I am, I feel like I caught a fairly good place to do a career and have, have something left of myself when I can get out, you know, in a few years. So, uh, kind of circling back to that, um, internship I did, uh, that, you know, I was exposed to so many things there, uh, saw what, um, my mentor's partner called my first live dead body at a homicide. Um, this dude had been blown away by, uh, by his uh, ex-wife. And, uh, you know, that was just a great learning experience, like the whole time of that. Um, also riding along with a lot of the, uh, the deputies there and picking their brains and learning as much as I could. I was a sponge the one thing I wish I had done was kind of understand a little bit better for myself if I'd be a good fit for that. And I think that was that came to the fore later on in my budding career um, when I tried to go work there full time. Um, so moved on from the uh, graduated from college. Uh, I worked as a coach, you know, coached football, coached baseball, um, and then. I didn't have a real job for very long before I got into um, full-time police work. Well, got back up a little bit. Um, I did get hired by that department. I was a volunteer deputy there for a little while. And again, I just, that was a good learning experience. Um, it was so much fun to go out there and chase, uh, chase calls call to call to call when you're in your early twenties, that's so much fun drawing guns all the time that when you could do that with when it was necessary and needed, cause you had to, it was just, it was a busy area. Um, it was a good place to, to learn very quickly. And then I got picked up full time at a little, uh, municipality, um, had only seven or eight, commission staff, I think, if I remember right. And, you know, worked there for a couple of years. Um, when you're working at a little place like that, you just, you know, you're, you're the only one on, 
Um, if something happens, you got to call your boss like, hey, this is what's up. But, man, you are a man on an island there. Um, you've got to learn really quick. You've got a lot of independence. you got to exercise good judgment. Um, what I really appreciated about that from – that, you know, that there was a lot that sucked about it, but I'm thinking about what was good about it. What was good about it was I could take a call from the beginning and investigate it all the way through to the end. I didn't, I didn't have a detective. I didn't have a traffic officer. I didn't have an accident investigator. Um, I didn't have a fingerprint tech. I was all of that. I had to learn that and do all that shit. Um, so I feel like I, you know, I got a good, well-rounded experience there. It was just really really slow uh politically there wasn't a lot of support from council you know we're paid really shitty and uh so I went back to that um sheriff's department and I just had this idea oh yeah I've been here before you know I've been a volunteer here no problem and uh this is where that uh <laughs> taking ownership for yourself came into play. I fucking failed. Uh, I failed there as a, as a, as a trainee. And, and, and well, I've got to say it's, that's probably in the time period where that was possible. I, I feel like right now, I, I don't know, not to go on a rant, but I feel like right now you probably got, would have got some more time, but back in those days, man, you fucking, you fail, you fail. And that's it. Yeah, it was, um, boom, you know, I, I mean, it was three months and I got put on the trebuchet and launched out of there. Um, I mean, it was cold. It was first time that ever happened to me in my life. Uh, first massive failure in my life. Um, you know, my, I had a young kid, my, um, wife at the time was crawling up my ass. I'd let everyone down. So that wasn't helping. Right. Imagine that. Imagine you're going through one of the hardest time of your life and your loving, supportive wife. <laughs> God damn What'd you say? What'd you say? <laughs> your loving, supportive wife. That's fucking, I don't know, man. That's like, I assume you said my, my, you know, your wife at the time. So I assume that's not a thing anymore, but sorry, man. What a fucking bitch, correctly, man. Sir. <laughs> What a fucking bitch. And I, God, I, I love I, you, man. I can't, like... I, I salute I, you. <laughs> I, I Look, I, I know, like, some people may disagree with me. No, Well, feel free. But here's my thing. I get, like, where she's like, fuck, man. Like, this is scary. You know, we don't have a job. We have a young kid. Mortgage. I don't know about... I don't know about you. A mortgage, house, whatever. You know, rent, car payments whatever i get you know i get that idea of oh fuck this is scary however i feel like you know if my wife lost her job i wouldn't be like all right what the fuck's wrong with you i'd be like hey it's gonna be okay we're gonna get through this together not crawling up my fucking ass or crawling up her ass what the fuck's wrong with people yeah you know to model to model the spouse that every cop, I mean, like, the, uh, I'm going to name drop uh, Matt Degas. I, I'm uh, pronouncing him correctly there in uh, the San Diego area. Oh, yeah. You pronounce it better Fucking than I a, His His wife 
was a fucking warrior for him. I mean, I, I got the social Wings media a fucking bat for him. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and that is, you know, guys, gals, if your spouse isn't in your corner like that, you got to have some discussions. Well, you know, I don't or, know if it has to be in the corner like that where you start, you know, doing a media tour. But, I mean, at, at least be supportive. Yeah, I mean, but there was no doubt that she loved him and was going to go down with him, go wherever he was going to go, you know, and that I am, I was like, wow, good for him. God bless him that he's got that support and that, you know, in that moment, you know, okay, um, I don't, I don't want to go too far away from your story, but it is rant time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, you know, Do the it. problem with kids these days, well, here's the thing. Uh, and again, some people may disagree with me and you, and you see this over so social media. And again, who knows what's fucking real and what's fake, but you see a lot of this of, you know, my man has to be this height. My man has to make this amount of money, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. If you meet a woman like that, or if you know if you're a chick and you, and you meet a guy that has you know those kind of expectations, they're a piece of shit. Okay, I get being attracted to what you're attracted to. Okay, I get it. Fine, you know it's your life, it's your marriage. But I'm telling you right now, that person, when you have a hardship, they don't give a fuck about you. What are you providing to me? And I understand a husband in a typical family is the provider, right? I know that's a little different mm -hmm. nowadays. It's not the 1960s, but I understand, you know, if, if I lost my job, if, if I get kicked off social media, I would have to figure something out, right? That's expected. The guy can't just sit there and mope, but if Walmart's us, hiring, Walmart's always hiring. I actually, I'm not going to lie. I might like working at Walmart depending. Um, I'd be a great door greeter. Just kidding. Let <laughs> me in the sports section. I'll just look at fucking bass lures all day. <laughs> but you're fishing whore. <laughs> yes. I, I have a problem. If you know, we were talking about addictions earlier, fishing, gambling, it's no problem. Not a problem. At least I kick the alcohol, alcohol for now. But Lenny, you got to make a call. <laughs> <laughs> but. I, I just I hate this fucking subculture of I understand the man has to provide kind of thing. But, dude, if you go into it looking for that and like, God forbid, something happens, fucking marry for love, you dumb fucks. If you're marrying for anything else, but genuinely wanting to spend time with that person and being supportive of that person, it's going to fucking fail. OK, I get yeah. I, I understand like, hey, I really love this guy, but he. He, he's a Walmart greeter and he doesn't have any aspirations. Okay. You know what? I'm okay with being some, being a little judgmental there. I'm not saying you have to, you know, marry a guy that works at Taco Bell, but I'm just saying you're looking at the wrong things. Life is way too fucking short to just, Absolutely. I don't know, but some people are more materialistic. I don't know. It just, I see that shit and it like, and I know it shouldn't let it bug me because none of it's real but it makes my blood boil that fucking people are just totally missing the point right they've made it 
transactional, you know, and they, they demand all That's this a shit. way of putting it. Yes. And, they, and then it's like, then the, well, you know, we, we aren't going to allow for a double standard in my, in Fletch's world. It's okay. What do you bring to the table? You know, what, right. <laughs> it would, and then if you bring that up, then you're a sexist. Well, uh, no, it's logical. <laughs> And I know, I, think I know what you're saying. I'm just saying like, that's where people go with that is like, well, you can't have expectations. So yeah, fair. there's a, a great, you know, and to put, I saw a thing where, you know, the, a, a reel where uh, on social media, where uh, women were bringing a tape measure and measuring the height of dudes. And uh, the counter to that was someone set a scale onto the ground <laughs> and I went, Hmm, touche, touche, you know? Cause I mean, what guy is going to say, Oh yeah, it's gotta be, you know, these three numbers and uh, she's gotta be no more than X pounds. Right. Oh, you'd be pilloried. Right. It, it no, she's gonna be kind, cooperative, um, come, Someone who I can come home to in peace, harmony, who isn't going to, you know, job is hard enough. This job is hard enough. It is stressful enough. And then you come home. I want to deal with no strife. I don't want to deal with no bullshit. I want to come home to peace and love. Uh, if she's had a rough day, okay. Wrap her up in love and like, hey, okay, let's work through this. But don't make my world any harder than it is. Right. And so, yeah, that's, man, we are, are you going to start a relationship well, podcast next? I guess so. Well, just one real quick <laughs> thought. And then I swear to God, we'll talk about you some more, but I just, I just wanted to get out there. This like, it's a fucking partnership. Right. And if you like, sorry, yeah, if you think you are so special that you deserve certain things from somebody, Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, nope. But the person you marry also deserves certain things, too, if you go with that. Look, I think it's just like a really false way of looking at things. Like, I get it. Have have standards. Don't, like, you know, marry somebody you, you, you want to be with. But, man, dude, you are just setting your fucking self up for failure if, if you're marrying somebody and they're, you know, if they're up your ass, like, all the time for this or that. That's not any way to live. Okay. It's just not. You're right. No. And if you're not. up people's asses all the time, it's okay to have expectations of people, but sometimes you just got to leave people to fuck alone. Like, I don't know if you get fired from your job, maybe a little support instead of fucking being up the ass is, is yeah. really what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. This is a quick message for all my brothers and sisters out there in law enforcement. We all appreciate ruggedness and reliability in our daily life. But what if I told you there is a way to feel and smell great while keeping that strong yet commanding presence. Enter Cattywampus Acres Goat Milk Soap. So my name's Jason, I'm with Cattywampus Acres, and I've been a cop for over 16 years now. Our goat's milk soap is not just soap. It's a game changer for men and women who appreciate that quality and confidence. It's handcrafted right here in the USA. This soap is the secret weapon you've been searching for. We have soaps designed for men and women. We have woodsy notes, florals, citrus blends, all kinds of good stuff. This soap is not just skincare, it's a true statement. 
I make every batch of soap using goat milk from our own farm. And our soap offers the strength and nourishment that your skin craves without compromising on any of that rugged masculinity or female toughness that you embrace. So as law enforcement professionals and savage pipe hitters, we know that confidence is key in everything we do. And what's more confident in knowing that you not only look the part, but you smell like greatness. So if you wanna truly experience this amazing goat milk soap today, visit our website at cattywampusacres.com. That is C-A-T-T-Y-W-A-M-P-U-S-Acres.com. And make sure you use the promo code POLICEMEMES to get a 10% discount on your order. So guys and gals, it is time to elevate your grooming routine, embrace the freshness, and carry that irresistible aura of confidence with you wherever your duty takes you. So check us out on all social media platforms at Caddy Wampus Acres. You know, and I had to swallow a big, big lump of my pride and go to my old... Uh, you know, go back to that last agency and go, oh, can I uh, have my job back? Cause I got to feed my family, you know, um, she worked, but I got to work too, you know? Um, and fortunately I was able to get hired back in a short amount of time. And, uh, it, yeah, that, that sucked. Can it's we like talk I'd about that a little bit though? I mean, what was, how were the guys, you know, did they give you a bunch of shit for fail, failing out of FTO no. or anything like that? Or no, the they didn't. They did, no, they were fine. You know, um, they were fine. Uh, the, you know, the, the supervisor that was there, the first line supervisor guy, uh, he was a good dude. He was an older guy who, you know, he would, he had had some, you know, he'd, he'd come there from a bigger agency and he, you know, he was a really good steady hand of a supervisor, uh, he kept, you know, the chief at bay with some of his stupid ideas and stupid ways of things, you know, uh, he was a, that good buffer. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, uh, no one, you know, disparaged me there. I had to go through and take the test again. They didn't just grant it to me again. It was like, oh, okay, I'll go out and prove it. And I went out and proved it and got hired back. Um, you know, number one. And then, um, yeah, I just started working again and, uh, had, you know, I'd had my first kid when we were, um, when I, you know, before I'd left to go to the sheriff's department, I came back and had kid number two and, um, you know, and again, I was, you know, it's a smaller city. So it was one of those places, you know, guys would just, they just couldn't keep people. And, you know, and I'd had my situation, so I'd try to apply again because it's like, ah, oh, this place is fucking bullshit. I'm gonna get the fuck out of here, and it's, you know, forget it. You're, you know, you got let go from there. No way, you know. So I felt kind of stuck, and our wages sucked. So it's like, oh fuck, you know, we gotta get, you know, more money. So um, got a better contract, so we could, you know, raise our wages, get a better schedule, so that, you know. I mean, we were on a fucking five, eight, five days on eight hour shift schedule. It fucking sucked balls. Um, you know, you get two days off. It's, I, I'm sorry if there isn't, if your agency is on something like that, uh, you know, where you get only two days off I and mean, that's just not enough if you're on patrol. 
I think you got to have at least three or four days off. If you're working 12s or 10s or whatever, um, some of these places, you know, they get, they have rotations like where you get every other weekend off, right? Or you get three on, three off 12s or four on, four off 12s or four 10s, right? I mean, we were, we were, we were trying to be creative with them and they were just so stuck in their ways. We finally got 10 hour shifts and got a good wage increase and lo and fucking behold, people stuck around and it was for a few years, it was a really good place to work. Um, you know, we were, we were all like on the same page. Um, and then we had the economic downturn. So wages kind of stagnated and a couple people left and, and then it just was the same old, same old there. And for me, you know, we had my third kid. Um, I was trying to branch out uh, and do investigations, helping out other agencies through like, um, you know, we, you know, in my area there that we were sharing um, officers from these smaller cities. We all kind of pooled our resources and we had, uh, you know, this uh, um, kind of like detective task force thing. So I was able to get out and like, cause I really enjoyed investigations. It was from my internship. I was like, Oh, I want to be a detective someday and get um, insulted by poorly made police memes, detective memes. Um, <laughs> constantly. Constantly. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the problem that you just set yourself up for is the last oh, detective that came on here and complained about those immediately got a fucking fat meme. So I guarantee the meme about for this podcast will be something about detectives being abnormally large. God bless you. Yeah. If it's, you know, you're welcome <laughs> yeah, for my service. I, I am. I, I, I thank you for your service, sir. Um, I, I respect transparency and uh, bluntness like that. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I really enjoyed investigations. I, you know, and, and, and just seeing how, um, you know, kind of dialing back to that, you know, internship, right. I was able to pour through uh, my detectives unsolved homicides and, and just like go through them and, and just like see how they were organized and see how, you know, reports were written and how stuff was documented and how stuff was collected. And just, I was, I, it was one of the best um, pieces of education I had in my college experience was that internship. And that's where the fire was lit for me. Like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to supervise. I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything else. This is what I want to do. And um, doing that uh, investigative stuff was great. Um, the first one I got called out for, from this other city. Um, I'd already worked all fucking day and I get a call 15 minutes before the end of my shift. Hey, go to the hospital. The victim's there. Uh, so-and-so is there. Uh, collect evidence, collect a statement, blah, blah, blah. Cool. And um, so I'm there and uh, we know who the suspect was and uh, you know, he had been in the wind and, nurse comes up to me and she's like, uh, Hey, you didn't hear this from me, but, um, there's another police department bringing your suspect in. And I'm like, uh, excuse me. Yeah. There's another agency bringing, um, him in like right now. Um, I'm like, 
Get the fuck out of here. Really? And I, I, I thought she was, I thought she was fucking with me. And lo and fucking behold, this other agency brings in our suspect to us on a silver platter. They had arrested him for another thing that they needed to process him at the hospital for. And we we're like, Hey, uh, can we take that dude off your hands? We got to take him to jail. Cause he's got some felonies, uh, kidnapping, rape, etc. And he was like, sure, no problem. And, uh, so that was kind of cool to have, you know, suspect handed to me on a silver platter. That was, a um, a good win for my first uh, call out like that. Um, you know, you, the, when those things happen in the job, you know, you just take it for what it is. It's like, that was awesome. The stars lined up for me. Thank you God for that. And I'm grateful for that. And, uh, um, and then a few years later, um, get another assist on that thing. And, um, and I help out this other agency and on um, this uh, case and, uh, you know, submit my report. And the, uh, one of the administrators there goes, Hey, you should put in your lateral application. Now in Fletch's life, um, I just filed for divorce. Um, three kids. Um, it was not the most stable part of my life. I was like, Okay, really, I'm, you know, and I and I immediately I'm like, hey, I got let go from this place. Uh, hey, I'm going through a divorce. Uh, you know, life's really chaotic. Are you sure? Yeah, put in your application. We don't fucking care. And this was a bigger place that I'd looked at from time to time. It was, you know, closer to home for me. And, um, you know, one of the guys I knew there pretty well. I was like, was he serious? He's like, yeah, he's fucking serious. You should put your app in. This is a great place to work. It's like a family here, family. And uh, like, okay. And I applied and um, did the chief's interview. And I was about, you know, I was like 75% like, okay, yeah, you know, I still got a good, I'm, I've got a good at this smaller place. And the chief, you know, I, I'm interviewing him as much as he's interviewing me. I'm like, tell me about your culture. Tell me about your training. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm professional and I'm not blunt about it. But I'm like, hey, you know, do you invest? Tell me about how you invest in your people. Tell me about uh, how you take care of your people. Tell me how you train your people. And um, and he was just blunt about it. He's like, yeah, we. this is the training we do. This is this. This is this. This is this. This is this. And there was no you know, you, you, you get to know people, you get to know when people are kind of like trying to tell you, like people please you, shine you on, tell you like what you think they want. You know, they, they're telling you things that they think you want to hear. It's like, nope, this is how it is. This is how it is. This is how it is. And, and it fit with a little bit of what I knew. And some of it was new information. I'm like, Oh God, I'm all in for this place. Please hire me today. Yes. And, uh, they rescued me four months later from that smaller uh, place. Um, so I made a, a move. Um, that was mid, you know, like 2015-ish or so. Um, made a move. So I'm, you know, 15 years and I'm new at a, you know, at another agency and do the FTO thing. But I got that done in eight weeks, no problem. And I was on my own. Can, we take, a great can we take a pause? 
Can we take a pause though? Because I feel yeah. like I was going to come back around and, and ask you about what happened at the sheriff's office where you didn't make it through FTO. And I, I want to ask yeah. that now because I want to kind of contrast and compare your your first experience lateraling and your second experience lateraling, if that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what went bad at the first place was my fucking attitude. And I, I had a terrible attitude. I just thought I'd go coast. I, I just, cause I'd already been there before. I knew all these guys, I would just coast right through it. Um, I think that was just, that wasn't a conscious thought. That was like a subconscious thing. And, and it really, uh, and, it, and it came out in my performance. Um, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to utilize resources. I, I just fucking failed complete failure. And, you know, I, I mean, things that I knew as a routine at my last agency that I could, you know, that I would do as a routine, basic fundamental shit. I just <clears throat> failed at this, at the bigger place. Did they give and, you kind of any warnings? Like, Hey man, like you need to step your shit up. Did you like not take them seriously? I'm, I'm just kind of well, curious. Well, how they, that went There out. was, um, about midway through was the first serious talk, but the way the guy talked to me about it, he was one of the uh, FTO supervisor types there. And he was, to me, it wasn't, I was here, I was filtering what he was saying to me. And again, this is a maturity thing from my ass, from my standpoint at that time, I was filtering what he was saying and not, um, taking ownership of my performance. I mean, he was, it was, when I say he was couching it, he wasn't blunt, like, listen, fucker, uh, this, 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 this needs to improve or you're not going to fucking be working here anymore. Um, I had at that time also in the background, one of the FTOs and this is a, and so this is something that I then took to the smaller agency when I became an FTO was I, I depersonalized myself as an FTO at the smaller city. Whereas there at the sheriff's department, it was one guy in particular was like comparing himself to my performance. It wasn't, you know, the one, four, seven standard of San Jose. He was, huh, I would have done this and I would have done that. And he'd mark me down. I was like, okay, you cocky fucker. Um, and, and it, it just, it, and we just did not have a good relationship until the last night I was working with him. It was, I think it was like the last week and we had a ripping pursuit. Uh, my one good pursuit of my career there. And I was driving a crown Victoria. Wait a second. Did you say crown Victoria? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go on <laughs> yeah so this um uh we're we were having it was like three in the morning whatever and and uh you know the smaller cities oh we're in pursuit and it was coming towards us and 
we beat feet out there and <laughs> they all go flying past us. And um, so we're going, trying to catch up to them. And they're now like half a mile to a mile ahead of us, whatever. And they're calling it. And then, you know, a few miles later, they do a U-turn and my FTO goes, they're coming back at us. And, and I knew this area pretty good. And so I see the headlights coming and I, and I look, okay. And I flip a bitch and now I am number one or two. I wasn't calling it. I was driving it and going about 125 miles an hour at one point. And, uh, I don't know how my FTO was feeling next to me, but he wasn't, I don't remember him saying a whole lot, but um, I was just verbalizing to him kind of commentary. I still remember it's like, yeah, you know, okay, got this. I see that. Oh, I heard that about spike strips, blah, blah, blah. And spiked the car, you know, eventually. And we'd backed off and, you know, we didn't drive over the spikes. So that was a good thing. And uh, one of the guys goes up to the car and <laughs> never forget it. This was, you know, it, there's a lot of things that sucked about that experience, but this was one of the better parts. He he goes up to the car, and this deputy was probably about six foot four, uh, solid built dude, right? Um, and he carried, you know, the three foot ironwood stick, you know, on his hip kind of deputy. Um, he didn't carry an asp, you know, he had a real baton. And this he goes up to the car, um, you know, after it's spiked and it's disabled, he grabs this little twerp out of the driver's seat and, and he does like the hammer throw with this guy. He just takes a, just takes like a full step and just get out of here. And he just throws this kid and I'm exaggerating, but I thought he did a couple of rotations before he landed on his stomach. Boom. Right. And then he gets pig piled by like four or five of us and he gets arrested and everyone else in the car. There's like three other people in the car and they've shit themselves. Like we told him to stop. We told him to stop. And um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but when we were, we get all done and I didn't have to do any paper, which was the best part. So I got to drive fast and I didn't have any paper to do. Right. Cause it was this other agency's call. Uh, he goes, good job. You did a good job on that pursuit. I, I felt like the kid who had never been able to please his dad for his whole fucking life for the, for the first time, he's like, good job. And it's like, fucking a, you know, hold the flashlight and... straight. <laughs> so it was, it was a win. Um, but it wasn't good enough, you know? Um, and eventually, you know, I got let go. Uh, you know, he was one of those guys though. He really personalized it, you know, and I went to this old dog after him who was just kind of like, you know, I've looked at your DORs. You've got all these young FTOs, you know, just, just relax and just, you know, you're going to be fine. And that's all I needed to hear. And, and next thing I know, I'm getting fucking fours and fives on my DORs. I'm fine. And then, and then I got handed off to a dude who had this reputation of being like, you know, like the closer. He's the one who's going to like write me up. I'm going to get fired. And, and then I get into another fucking pursuit. Like one of my last shifts there. Um, I was not driving a Crown Victoria in that one. Um, we still got the guy, but, um, you know, uh, 
it was it was just it was one of those things where I think they were just marking time to get me down to three months and then I was out. Yeah, and there was another dude who had been hired right after me. Um, same thing. He'd worked in that small city that had been in the pursuit. And, um, you know, everyone was talking about him. Oh, yeah, we're going to get get this guy on board. And same thing, three months. And he was, boom, he got booted out the door. Um, but fortunately for both of us, we got we were able to land on our feet. And um, he's still working today, as far as I know, too. What did they tell you when they gave you the boot? Um, what was the reason? Oh, it's uh, not meeting training standards or some bullshit. I mean, it's been so fucking long, right? I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, you, you bounce back, which is, you know, because when yeah. you told me, when you told me you didn't make it through FTO, a lot of thoughts kind of went through my head, and you've been on for 25 years. So I was like, well, it couldn't have been too bad if, you know, you bounce back. Cause those things kind of have a way of sorting themselves out, right? Like if somebody gets bounced and they go somewhere else and then they get bounced again. Right. And then it's, that's kind of it. Yeah, I'd agree. I think in the big, in the big scheme of life, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That fucking sucked. And I thought that was like, that was my dream job. I was going to work there. I was going to, that was going to be it. Right. And yeah. I have found in life that all of the no's have been good no's and the yeses have been good. Yeses. If well, that makes sense. It makes sense. And, and I was going to say too, I, in this job, in this profession, you know, we are, we, we tend to be a little judgy. My old agency prior to me getting there, had a reputation of fucking bouncing people out of FTO and they prided themselves on it. Like the, the goal was to, to knock it's out 20, 30% fucking of it, stupid, which is in that it is, you know, and, but then it went too far the other direction where now it's like impossible to fire people. I mean, I've run across people that the FTOs were trying to get rid of an FTO department said, Nope, we're going to keep them. And they were fucking awful. So it has, there has to be a balance of it, you know, and I don't, you know, and this may be something we're going to, we're going to venture on a podcast later, but you know, we, we talked, you know, we had the episode about the goons. I don't know if you, the goon squad, I don't know if you heard that one or not, but I, I, I only lasted 30 minutes into that thing and I had to turn it off. That was, yeah. I, I, I can't believe that shit happens anymore, but I digress. Yeah. Those guys are fucking garbage. But a, a counterpoint to that is then we go too far and then we fucking we hire TikTok cops, right? Like what what's the balance on that? And you know, it's it sucks because it, it just seems like so few agencies get it right with FTO. And I'm not talking about the FTOs. I mean, where do you bounce people? Where do people need a couple more weeks? You know, I'm all for like, look, the city invested. And people in, in my agency had, you know, there was people I heard about. They're like, oh, yeah, well, they bounce this dude. He's a sergeant in this city now. Like he he did fine. He just needed he needed to cook a little bit more. I don't have like if somebody and that's the other thing, too, is, is again, this profession of a type personalities. Let's be honest, man. You hear somebody gets extended. You're going to be like, eh, you know, be careful around that, dude. Maybe he just needed another couple of weeks to cook. Right. It's. It's and it's man, and FTO is kind of subjective, right? You know, a personality conflict 
an FTO can cause a good officer, a good potential officer to really go downhill quick because those first couple of years of policing, if you're not comfortable in your own skin, can be very problematic. You can have decision-making issues and things like that, where I've seen people that were confident and then they go to the wrong FTOs and the FTOs just fucking chew them up. And they didn't, they didn't need that. You know, uh, there was a guy in my academy that when he, he went through the academy and he did fine, he was good, a really solid guy. And he just got the wrong FTOs and they fucking ate him up and he quit in FTO. He didn't know that they were going to tell him that day that he passed, but they let him quit. That wouldn't have happened now, but it happened 10 years ago. But then I had another guy in my academy that I love the dude to death, but man, like he just froze on calls and he, you know, he eventually left. And I was like, well, that one worked out. Okay. So it's, I don't know, man, it, it's a tough thing because I, I want to be, I want to be fair to people. Right. Cause not, not all of us learn the same ways. And I think good cops have been bounced from FTO. And I think shitty cops have not been bounced from FTO. It's Absolutely. Yeah. It, it is striking that, you know, Goldilocks just right kind of thing of, yeah, you don't want to be um, firing people for sport, you know, and that's what it, that's what it seems like. I hate to use the word feel, but that's what it seems like. It looks like, you know, um, you know one of the sheriff's departments in my area, it's the same thing. It's the, you know, oh, you know, 50% don't make it off of FTO and, why? I mean, I think that is that I, that that says to me that that agency has a, a hiring problem. They have an admin problem. They have an FTO problem. They're not identifying the right people to fit in their organization, and, and they they are not. Um, you know, what does that say about the trainers? Are the trainers properly applying the FTO standards? Okay. Because when I went to my little, when I went back to my little agency and I had to be the guy training the new ones, okay, because I, I, the first two years that, you know, before I left, I was, there was other guys. I pulled out the little black book they issued in the FTO class for what it was, because I wasn't going to memorize it. Like I wasn't going to memorize the Miranda warnings. I was going to look at, ah, uh, okay, what's the standard for uh, radio traffic? What's the standard for, Officer safety. What's the standard for driving routine traffic, right? What is the four standard? What's the one standard? What's the seven standard, right? What, what What's the performance on this call? Stick to the fucking standard. Remove your bias from it, okay? I think that's how we could probably go to some degree to fix that problem that you identified of removing, you know, the, 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 um, extremes both ways right because if someone's just not fucking cutting it okay they're not cutting it but what is the agency doing though when someone isn't cutting it what's the retraining they're doing are they retraining someone are they you know unplugging them what are they doing to try and make them successful um and you know that's 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 another thing um when i've had people Younger people now, as I've gotten advanced in my career, you know, young people still come, hey, I want to be a police officer. And 
Like, okay, uh, what have you done to research the position? Oh, you know, uh, not a whole lot. I watch cops. <sighs> God bless them. Hope they were watching Multnomah County, nineteen eighty nine, right? <sighs> that's it, that's when they were, you know, were the, the the old old school shit, right? Yeah. Um, well, I ride along, or my dad was a cop, or this, 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 and this. It's like, okay, yeah, do ride alongs, do ride alongs with your city, do ride alongs with the county, do ride alongs with the state. Hey, if you've got marine or fish and wildlife, and if they got something, do that, right? You got to go to a place, and this is the, the thing I wish I had known was. Go to the place that's going to fit your personality. And that was another aspect to it. You know, I didn't really touch on. I mean, I had a shitty attitude, but ultimately I wasn't a good fit for that place. And I later learned that there was an element of, well, we'll give, we'll give Fletch a shot here. It wasn't like, oh yeah, we want this guy. It was, ah, we'll give him a, we'll give him a shot. So maybe even before I was hired, the admin kind of was like, eh, he might not be the right fit, but we'll give him a shot. So I, you know, tell people now from my own experience, hey, go to the place where you're a fit. Um, there was a buddy of mine at that small city. Um, not too long after I came back, uh, he, he made a lateral move to um, a bigger place in our area. But he had done his homework. He, he goes to another – he went to another agency that in our area, um, very well equipped, very well paid. They're really fucking busy. Um, when you interact with the cops from that agency and they're all professional, they're sharp. But back then – early 2000s they had this fucking reputation where uh they, they'd get new people on and you had to earn your way on i mean people were just fucking dicks to their recruits they didn't even fucking talk to them and that's just how it was and he goes there for a ride along and he encountered that dismissive attitude of like you know like you gotta earn your way on here man and he goes man fuck you guys. And he got up and left. He's like, I'm not going to fucking apply here. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, so it's, again, he was smart to do his homework, learn the culture. There was, that wasn't going to be a fit for him. Someone else might look at that and go, huh, challenge accepted. I can, I can go work at this place and kick ass and take names. Maybe, uh, it, it really just depends. You know, you got to have, like I said, the personality, you got to fit in, right? You cannot, I mean, it's the cliched thing. You can't jam the square peg into the round hole uh, for working at a place. You know, I mean, if you're, you know, we, I had a guy at the small city, he, you know, he was one of my first trainees and this guy was just, he was an animal. I mean, he was constantly stopping cars. He was just, I loved him. You know, he was making little mistakes here or there, but they were all, you know, uh, as I would say, uh, Chester would say from a few episodes ago, they were all you know, teachable moments. They weren't like big things, uh, right? And he was a quick study, um, but my little city wasn't big enough for him. And he was gone in less than a year to a high-speed place, um, you know, call to call to call, pursuits, foot pursuits, uh, 
physical, just, you know, kicking ass, taking names, kind of a uh, speed, you know, I mean, he was, it's, a, it's a kind of a city agency. That's more like, uh, you know, like deputy they're, they, you know, they're like, they're like deputies, but in a city, they just kick ass. And, um, he's been a great fit at that agency. He was an ill fit at my small city agency. Um, it was just to, he was just too aggressive for it. But again, that's an administrative thing. They need to screen that out in advance. Um, that's just, uh, again, that's an admin problem, I would say. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, so that's, I think that's, well, I was going to say, I think that is a, a very wise thing is kind of going back to just doing your research on where you're going to go work and make making sure it's a good fit. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. Oh, hey there. It's me. I just want to let you guys know about something. On my link tree, I have links to all your favorite poorly made things. I'm going to have a link specifically to the coins and patches with Ghost Patch, my merch with Spring, and a couple other things. We're going to have Fit Responder on there. We're going to have Officer Privacy on there. And of course, we're going to have RTI Training. If you're going to go sign up for class through RTI Training, use the link in my link tree. And it helps me out a little bit, and they know that I sent you. Check out my link tree for all things poorly made. I'll be updating it as new things come up. Going forward, the link should be on the description of every podcast. And, of course, uh, find it on my profile on Facebook and Instagram under Poorly Made Police Memes. I want to talk to you guys about the Thin Line Rock Station. You've heard me promote them over the last few podcasts. It is music for first responders by first responders. I love listening to it. And not only do they play a great variety of music, they have the request line. You can request stuff. They also promote police businesses, and they also promote police charity. And a portion of all their proceeds goes back into the police community. So if you're like I, you want some good tunes, great variety, go check them out. Again, that is the Thin Line Rock Station, and I'll have a link in the podcast description. Now, back to the podcast. I want to skip ahead a little bit because we kind of went sideways a bit. So you had your issues. You went to the smaller agency. You were encouraged to lateral over. You got into FTO. You got through that there. When you were in FTO, were you kind of like, fuck, I don't want to fuck up again? Or were you pretty confident going back through and you'd kind of learn the errors of your ways? My attitude was there was just like, okay, you know, um, I'm going in for an officer tune-up because, you know, I don't care how good we are. I don't, I, it, it, this might ruffle some feathers. Okay. We, we could be good at whatever we are in law enforcement SWAT. You could be good at investigations, traffic, this, 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 and this. Sometimes though, you, you know, unless you got someone who is watching you and giving you like, Hey, uh, did you notice that you did this or that you can slip into some bad habits? So I was just like, okay, you know what? If I have fallen into some bad habits, I'm going to extinguish them as fast as possible. I'm going to take on board the culture of this agency. Um, I'm going to learn their procedures, their policies. Uh, I'm going to ask a fuck ton of questions if I need to, and I'm just going to work. I'm just going to put my head down and work as hard as possible. And every cue that the first, I had a, you know, a rotation on nights and then a rotation on days. And the guy on days was, you know, the guy on nights was good. He'd been there a long time with, you know, 
nuances and culture and um you know he he also had though his quirks that was just kind of like okay yeah dude whatever and i ignored them once i left his car and didn't have to deal with them anymore it was uh the the day shift guy he really taught me about you know street level drug investigations because i didn't really have that at the smaller agency the smaller agency we wrote a lot of fucking tickets there too um yeah i was yeah I think a few episodes ago, you're, you know, it was one of those, it's one of those agencies where you had the ticket standards and we can go down a rabbit hole on that. Um, but um, the day shift guy though, he taught me about street level drug investigation. So it, in about a week, I had a quick uh, education on that and boom, 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 you know, just making drug arrests, writing warrants. And it was fine. You know, it was, and you know, it, and then I did my uh, shadow and, you know, on the end of the shadow, uh, the sergeant's like, hey, uh, let's go to lunch. He's like, you're fine. You're doing great. You're, you're just fine. You get plugged in. Good job. You know, you've left that sheriff's experience behind. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. You know what you're doing. And that felt really good. And, uh, not too long after that, you know, because he was also uh, the supervisor of the detectives. He said, like, hey, you know, uh, someday this dude's going to retire. You know, you should put in for the detective spot. I'm like, oh, that's the goal. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so just just put my head down and just worked hard there. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was way wider variety than um, – the smaller city. I mean, there was bigger city next to it. There was just, just a lot more variety. Um, interesting cases. It just, the variety really just made it um, good. And I, I, I was a happy working there again. It was just, it was just a lot of fun. Um, got a lot of time off. Um, so it was good balance. I was divorced. And so that whole albatross was out of my life and that was better. And, so things were good. And then um, a few years in, um, that one detective, he retired and they're like, um, you know, made an opening for it. And the I'd passed up a couple sergeant's tests prior to that. And people were like, hey, why didn't you take the sergeant's test? And it's like, I have no desire to take the sergeant's test. I have no desire to be a sergeant. I want to be a detective. You know, thank you very much. And got the detective spot and... That was, um, a, that was, it, it was the first time in almost 20 years. I was like, I'm not working a patrol shift anymore. I'm not a slave to 911 calls, I'm not a slave to the radio. It was a big shift for me, uh, to be honest. Like the, I, I didn't understand like what it was going to entail culturally for me. Like I had always come into work, put on a uniform, put on my gun belt, my vest, all the things. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, <clears throat> I'm lashed to a desk with a caseload was the first thing. It's like, Whoa, okay. And so there was, I, I, it was a big learning curve with just, you know, managing the caseload and prioritizing things. So there was, there was a lot to, um, to learn in that position, but I loved every minute of it. And I still do to this day. Um, it's the position I've always wanted. Um, 
and then like immediately the first couple months, you know, getting called out on things. I mean, they're not massive things, but just getting called out and doing what this is what we do, you know, and, and just really, really enjoying it. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's a shift from patrol where, you know, I'm not wearing uniform, I'm not out and about. And, uh, that was acutely, that became acutely, um, I don't know if that's the right word. It was, it, it became important because the following year was the pandemic and then George Floyd. Who's George Floyd? He's this, he, he's this guy who's got sainthood from. Uh, patron saint of fentanyl. Yes, himself. Yeah. I mean, he's. You know what's funny is I couldn't have made that joke a couple of years ago. Couldn't have done it. Could not have done it. And now it's kind of gotten to the point. Well, maybe I still can't. I don't know. But. Uh, it's kind of funny how you can't talk about things and then you can again. But anyway, that's a story for another day. That's a story. Yeah. And you know, the precursor to George Floyd though, was Ferguson. Um, Ferguson, when that was kicking off, I was angry. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This dude attacked a cop. What are we getting pissed? At? What's the fucking media doing? And they were just absolutely riling up people, riling up the rioters, riling up everyone. And I had the uh, the fortunate circumstance. I, at the time, I thought it was unfortunate. Um, my chief said, "Hey, I I need you to go and be." public information officer. I'm like, excuse me. I don't want my face in front of the press. No, I, I need you. I need you. I'm like, okay, I'll do it for you, chief. And, and in this public information class, this is several years after Ferguson at my new department. Uh, the, the trainers, these guys were, you know, journalism and media professionals of many, many years. Um, and they arranged for us to go to a newspaper and a television station in our metropolitan area here. And we sat down with the crime reporters for the rag, I'll call them in our major city here. And uh, they were waxing poetic about how, you know, they do all this hard journalism and they're this and they're this. And I go, what are you talking about? Where were you guys during Ferguson? And the room got silent. <laughs> and, and the one guy, especially, he was who had waxed about how uh, waxed lyrical and, you know, patted himself on the back about what a great journalist he was. Like, where the fuck were you guys? I didn't say the F word, but it's like, where the hell were you guys for Ferguson? Hands up, don't shoot. That was the biggest lie perpetuated on. American law enforcement and you guys let that lie stand and it was silent and and then I was like oh are they gonna now try to write a they're gonna hunt me down now they're gonna try and dig up dirt on me what Racist are they gonna do small town cop <laughs> he wrote 
traffic tickets on too many motorists of color. No, I what I'll my first small town chief to address that. My first small town chief. There was many things about him that were a little bit weird. I shouldn't say weird. He was just different. But underneath, he had a good heart. He was a good person. And he gave me great advice on the very first day I worked there. But, you know, very, day one, I'm filling out my HR paperwork. And he goes, you will never, ever get in trouble if you base your law enforcement actions on the actions of the violator or the defendant you're dealing with. And I thought about that throughout my career. It used to be true. Yes, it used to be true. Um, I think uh, the guy in San Diego who we talked about earlier, Degas, we can, he absolutely based his actions on the, that guy there and he got absolutely pilloried by that district attorney down there and accused of all kinds of disgusting things that didn't happen. Right. But yeah, you're right. It used to be true. Um, and I think that's where body worn cameras and some other accountability things, you know, can protect us, you know, it's like, hey, you know, this is what the guy did. This is what he said. This is how his hands were. This is all the things that, you know, that justify us doing the things that we have to do so that um, we go home at night, you know, um, you know, I, I made a few traffic stops, you know, at that small town. And it's like, you only stop me because I'm insert race. And it's like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but uh, actually, you're whatever, tabs are expired or you were speeding. You were only doing that because you were only measuring my speed because I'm black, you know, whatever, whatever. Like, well, you know, it's as you can see, it's, you know, nighttime. And if my vision was really that good, I would be doing I'd be making way more money in another job with that really, really good eyesight than doing law enforcement, you know. But no, you're you're speeding, and we're gonna deal with that. And um, I always hung paper on those people, not to be punitive, but to, I mean, just paper trails. Like, yeah, you know, you want to fight it? Let's go to court. You know, I got my radar thing. I got these observations. Whatever. You know, and if they got the ticket dumped, I don't care. I really don't give a fuck. You know, that was another good lesson I had very early on when I was a reserve at the, or, you know, the sheriff's department there. Um, one of the guys there who I'd ride with, um, he gave me, I mean, he also reinforced that thing about, you know, you're not like one or two or three really close friends. Everyone else will, you know, you know, you'll fuck you over or whatever. But he said, Hey, um, Oh God, I just lost my train of thought. Holy fucking a, I think, I believe you know, in you. I was going to say how fucking sad it is and how true it is. Like, in my experience, there were some people that were fucking fantastic and great. The rest of them you fucking couldn't trust. And it's sad. That is a a sad truth that you learned all those years ago. Yeah. Okay. So the trains that was derailed is back on the tracks. He said, you know, don't, ever get wrapped around don't ever get wrapped up with 
the results of a case. Don't ever get like, you know, so wound up that, oh, this guy, I got to get him fucking, you know, got to get a guilty on this guy. Oh, that guy was speeding, you know, they got to find him committed. What? Who gives a fuck? All right. You did your job. You gave the court good. You gave your prosecutor a good PC or your district attorney. Uh, you got all the evidence and you send it off. You just gotta, you gotta be detached from it and say, just let it go. Now, I haven't always subscribed to that with how, um, lately with how uh, the laws have gotten so lax and the lack of accountability is so bad that it's like, hey, we've got some problems here. But, I mean, the general principle is true. If I do everything in my control within Fletch's orb, within my world, if I do everything that I can do the right way, by policy, by procedure, follow the rules, the criminal procedure, um, in a timely fashion, and I'm not the one who made it fuck up, I can't, con I can't get pissed about that. I mean, I'm pissed that maybe someone else um, pissed away, fucked up my efforts, but I didn't, I was not the cause of that. So I don't get, I don't get mad about that. I don't get frustrated with that, you know, and that's something I've taught the younger guys when I've had them like, Hey, you know, just don't get wrapped around the axle about this stuff. Don't worry about this thing. You're doing the best you can and that's all you can do, you know? tell my kids the same thing with, with school or with sports, you know, if you put in your best effort, if you gave it your best try, um, and whatever the results are, they are. But if you were fucking lazy, if you were a malcontent about it, uh, if you cut corners, uh, if you were in too much of a fucking hurry, and cut corners, uh, shortcuts, same thing. And it fucks up. Uh, that is completely preventable. And, you know, there's a, 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 at my new agency, there's a phrase called a discretionary time, non-discretionary time that uh, became kind of a you know buzz phrase around there. And... What is what does that mean? Discretionary time. We got all the time in the world to solve a problem, marshal resources to that problem and fix it, right? You know, we don't have to be in a hurry to fuck it up. Um, Non-discretionary time, on the other hand, is when we got to act right now. We don't have any time to wait because this is a life or death emergency. And most of the time we're dealing with problems where we can sit back. We got discretionary time to fix shit, right? So, um, you know, that's just another one of the little wisdoms I wish I'd known really early on, um, of, you know, that, that, that concept, I think I operated on it without knowing it, but that was a, uh, a concept when I went to the larger agency, um, you know, that, you know, I took that on board and it's like, okay, you know, and that's. You know, and I, I think we're seeing that now in a larger context with places, you know, or, you know, take uh, take a step back. We don't have to rush into fucking this thing up. We can, um, you know, 
identify the problem, have a plan of attack to fix it, whatever it is. If it's an investigation, if it's a, a problem house, you know, the, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to, how are we going to solve this problem house in the neighborhood? Okay. We're going to get some Intel. We're going to get some, uh, statements we're gonna get evidence so that we can get a warrant okay and what crimes are we looking at you know all those things you know to 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 solve to solve a problem um i think that i i still see this from time to time with some of our younger officers they just get in a hurry at least that they're they'll ask questions they're not just trying to bullshit their way through those problems so that's a good thing they're 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 trying to they're trying to solve it, you know, by asking someone who knows. But um, at least they're not rushing into a massive fuck up, you know, or doing a goon squad thing, like you you profiled a while ago, um, and uh, you know, really compounding their problems and getting indictments landed on them and shit. There was somewhere I wanted to go, but this is poorly made, and I don't remember. Very poorly made. It's always, always poorly made. You know, I love it. I did want to ask before we we jump into some some other stuff, and we actually have an officer of the podcast to do this episode. It's it's been kind of a, a wacky couple of weeks here in poorly made land, but hopefully we get back on track. But <laughs> over the last, you know, twenty five years is a long fucking time, man. You've been around for a long, long time. You know. You've, your career, I, I assume, has changed a lot on the way, you know, policing, how cops do business, so to speak. What do you think is the biggest change from the the time you started to now? What do you think the biggest change is? So I'd say technology and the people that are doing it. I remember... The patrol cars, when I started, had at the sheriff's department, had 1G modems in them. You got the most basic of data on your laptop to run license checks and wants and warrants checks. And then fast forward to today where we have 4G, 5G modems in the cars and we're getting you know, you can, you get your driver's license photo instantaneously in some places. Um, you have all kinds of computer web-based resources at your fingertips. So technology, I think, has been massive. And I think one of the areas, and I, I don't know anything directly. This is just my instinct on this. And I could be re- I could be totally wrong about this. Like everything else I've said on this, if I've opined about anything, I'm not, I'm not the I'm not a fucking expert at anything, right? I'm you know, I'm just a dumb like a 25-year cop. Okay? Um artificial intelligence, we got to really keep an eye on how that will impact our industry. Um I don't know exactly how, but I just have a feeling about AI. We got to really keep an eye on that. Um, and then the people, the when I started, I'd go to a test on a weekend, and there'd be 300 people 
taking the written test. And in the afternoon, about half of them would still be there, the ones who didn't fail, and they'd be taking the physical test. And uh, nowadays, you know, and especially, you know, it, it's hard to find people. I mean, that, I'm not, I'm not saying anything new or groundbreaking. We all know that recruitment is just, it's bottomed out. Um, and the generations, um, you know, you had the boomers and the Gen Z people, I'm sorry, boomers and Gen X people. Uh, when I started in, you know, I'm a, I'd consider myself Gen X and early day millennials. Um, who just had a, who had like this uh, perspective of, you know, like, Hey, yeah, sometimes this job sucks and this is what the job requires of us. And we just got to go forth and do it. And nowadays the latter millennials, and if I've got any latter day millennials or Gen Z's in here and this ruffles your feathers, well, okay. You know, take this on board as constructive criticism or just constructive feedback. Maybe um, they just like things their certain way. Um, and if it doesn't fit for them, well, they're just not going to do it. Um, in, in, you know, I've noticed, I've seen this trend when went to like a detective conference and fewer, fewer people want to do investigations. And I think part of it is they don't want, people don't want to be on call 24 hours a day. Um, I've lived life on the, you know, with a cell phone next to my bed for a long fucking time and I won't miss it when it's done, you know, gotten that 2 AM phone call that bolts you out of bed and you're wide awake. Uh, and the younger people don't want to do that kind of thing anymore. They want to work their little fixed schedule that they're happy with. They know that it, they're certain with, and they move on from it. Um, I think those are the two biggest changes right off the bat, but I mean, you know, I want to, ref I might go back to that because I think that I'm going to want to reflect on it a little bit more. Those were the two knee jerk answers I had to that. Um, you know, we used to write our reports when I started, you know, paper and pen, you know, you, you had your Mark one ballpoint pen and your notepad to make notes. And then you had your lined statement form to handwrite your reports when I started uh, word processing was just getting started. Um, it was a new thing. I, I mean, shocking, right? That, you know, everything's typewritten now. Everything's on a word processor, you know, the office suite, all that stuff. CAD, you know, and you, there's all kinds of different technologies now. Um, I mean, like cell phones in when I started were those big brick things, right? Um and now we've got, you know, incredible computing power in a in iPhone or an Android phone that we carry in our pocket. I mean, there's so many things that you can do there. You know, you could almost probably have like your cat on your phone. Almost. It's it's incredible how much technology there is now. And, and you know, and that's the one thing I think the younger generation can do is they're they've been growing up with computers. They've been growing up with this stuff and they can adapt to that probably a little quicker than some of the older guys, you know, um, at my newer department, there was a guy, God rest his soul. Um, he's no longer with us. Um, just a solid dude. Um, 
he uh he 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 was not adept at computers and he'd come up to me like hey can you uh, help me with this or hey can you help me with that and it wasn't like you know that he was dumb or anything he just probably grew up you know with typewriters or whatever he didn't know word processing he didn't know like the little tricks or whatever of computers and so i think that's where i think the younger generation they can do better with that stuff for sure than the newer or than than us old dogs um we just have to learn and adapt to that stuff um in terms of uh the other massive change though that i noticed though was again um i mean it's it did start with ferguson uh 2020 cemented it the pandemic times you know the riots uh this shift of where you know there's you know this defund movement um when i first heard that i was like is this a joke is this satire what this is un unfathomable and then all these places are starting to talk about oh we're going to defund the police what so that there's been some culture shifts as well that have, that you know and that's outside of what we do um there, there's some been some culture shifts with um society at large and how they view law enforcement um and, and at times we are our own worst enemies with it those guys in mississippi are an example um but there's also times when we you know when the media makes it really bad and i think ferguson was an absolute abject failure of the media to tell the truth i mean they fat flat out they 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 failed they absolutely failed there um and that's tragic you know for us i mean we're the ones who have who are left holding the bag on that um so long-winded answer to what's changed i want to reflect on that a little bit more and maybe uh add a little bit to that more later on well while you think about that and before we get to my dumb questions i think we should do the officer of the podcast and i'm an idiot and i don't have it pulled up here it is i'm so proud of myself so uh, a while back, we read the first nomination um, that this person sent in, and here's the second one. Well, I, I've, I haven't done an office of the podcast in so long, I didn't remember to do the intro to it. Motherfuckers, if people are doing a good job, send me an email, memes at gmail.com, and potentially I will read it poorly on this podcast, and I will send them a beautifully made patch by Ghost Patch. As you guys know, uh, me and Ghost Patch have teamed up for a fuckload of stuff, and there's more stuff coming, so obviously check that out. But they made this patch, and we sent them out to the people that win. So please, uh, if you guys know people that are doing good work, please nominate them. This nomination, I would also like to nominate Officer Blinkity Blink. She was the toughest FTO I had and taught me the most about the job. She consistently worked her tail off and consistently over, was overlooked by admin. She's dedicated to the job and, desert, and a dedicated training officer to the newer officers like myself. 
She was awarded the Mothers Against Drunk Driving Award for her efforts in arresting drunk drivers. She deserves promotions, but has been overlooked this time. Over, I'm sorry. She deserves promotions, but has been overlooked each time. Well done, Miss Officer Blankety Blank. Does she deserve a T-Rex, air horns, or an applause? Oh, God. T-Rex all the way. Okay. Yeah. You know, and Officer Blankety Blank, that's, you know, that just touches on, and I hope I'm not stepping on uh, the officer of the podcast um, toes here. Uh, when you said, you know, that person said they teaches, she's a teacher. Um, I think there's, there's some extremes when it comes to FTOs. And I think that the extreme FTOs are the ones that just sit back and observe and mark grades and let the daily observation report uh, speak for itself. But when you get someone like that, who's teaching, coaching, guiding, or along the way, kind of like, you know, instead of letting the, the trainee, you know, I hate to say that we use the word letting them fail, but saying like, hey, don't do that. You want to do this. And building in like actual good habits in the trainee's mind of like, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to learn. You're going to learn more by doing it the right way. And intervening in that right moment with good training in that moment with whatever that has to be, you know, like maybe tell radio something or, or no, stay off the fucking radio because everyone else needs to hear so-and-so who's at the scene, right? There's a time and a place to talk. And I think a teacher is the, I think that's what an FTO should be. Or a coach, right? Yeah, football. Too many, FT uh, too many FTOs um, are evaluators and not teachers. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. You look at any any coach in any sport. They, yeah, they're gonna watch. They're gonna watch film and they're gonna grade the film later. But what are they doing? Like a football coach, um, you, you have a game plan. They, you send them out there. They're gonna play. You come in at halftime and you make corrections. You might alter, you might throw out the game plan because this ain't working. Or you can say, hey, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. I mean, it's not a perfect, it, it's an imperfect analogy, but, you know, the, you got to coach them up while they're doing it. And if, and if they're doing something right, you reinforce it. And if they're fucking up, you got to extinguish it immediately, right? And you're exactly right. They're evaluators. They just want that. I don't want to assume intentions because I hate it when people do that to me, but if they're doing it just to collect the incentive pay and they're not there to mentor and teach people, they don't fucking belong being an FTO. Okay. I don't care how good they are. They need to have like, I, I, and this is just Fletch's opinion. Okay. And you can say, you know, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I think if you're going to be in that role, that is one of the most critical roles in the police department because you have, like we touched on earlier, you know, a, a, a good or a bad FTO can make or break a recruit. And given if, if a recruit is coming in 
eager, you know, sharp-minded. They've they've done well in the academy or from where they've come from or the, and, you know they're ready to go. Um, a good FTO is gonna can can do that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's and you know I applaud whoever it was that submitted that person for uh, for that. So good on her um, for uh, teaching people that stuff. Um, when I was at the smaller agency as an FTO, you know, I, I, I trained people there for several years, you know, I was, it was, it was myself and the other first line supervisor. And it was really important for me to just, you know, make sure that they got the good habits right out of the gate. And if anything I saw, not None of them were douches. They didn't do anything stupid. None of them, thank God. I mean, we were hiring good people. We didn't have anyone out there, you know, that was, you know, like, you know, you know running scared or doing anything. They were just making mistakes, right? Um, I, hey, you turned your back on the driver again. What, what happened there? You know, what were you thinking? Oh, I wasn't thinking. Oh, okay. So what are you going to do next time? Okay. You, you're going to, Keep your eyes on the driver. You know, you, what are you going to do here? Okay. You know, talk it through and it, just coach them and teach them, right? And document it. But, and not to be an asshole, but like, hey, we've talked about this. You understand it. Okay. Let's, let's improve on this performance, right? Um, and I, I didn't feel like I ever, you know, I, I was putting down what I saw, what I heard, and giving them a fair evaluation. Because by God, they were going to be my partners eventually in this little department. And, you know, it's important to me that they get a fair shot because if they're going to make it and they're going to be working there um, or, or if they're competent, um, I want to, I'm going to invest in them too as a coworker. And if they're not good, well, it'll be apparent and evident. You know, it'll happen. Um, and, and, you know, everyone got through it. You know, they, they, you know, and, and the role that I always came from for myself with that experience I had been through was, okay, how would I want someone to FTO me? You know, just be fair by the book. And I, I mean, like by the standards, okay, I'm not, you know, tight ass thing, um, but just coach them, teach them, uh, is every single fucking mistake going to get written down? That's impossible. Okay. We're, it's just impossible. Right. Um, sometimes like, like to go back to your Chester, you know, teachable moments I think are important. Um, I, <laughs> well, let's this see this, great. buddy. Let's see. Yeah. This. Let's do some dumb questions. Are you ready for them? Dumb, dumb questions. You know, we've hit. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing the should the weed be legal thing that you guys let me know. The listeners let me know if I should keep going with that question. But it's like I'm going to find out about it in like two weeks when the podcast comes out. So you might have to deal with it for longer, but we're going to do it for now. Do you think weed should be legal? So my perspective is I've never done it in my life. Honest to God. And with that said, um, 
having seen it be legalized in my lifetime where I'm at. Um, I think that for adults over pick an age 18 or 21, fine for younger people. No. Um, one particular person where I'm at, I've seen him during the pandemic just absolutely waste himself on daily consumption of this. And now he's hospitalized from it. It's really sad. Um, is it because of that? I don't know, but I don't think it helped him at all. And I would venture to say if I had to wager, it probably hurt him a lot. Um, and he's under, he, he, I don't mean he's, he's in his late teens, early twenties. Do you think weed should be legal for cops? If they want to do that off duty. I don't think we have enough data right now to say that it's okay. And here's, here's my thought on that. Take alcohol, right? I think that scientifically, I mean, scientists have been able to study alcohol and how the body purges alcohol at a known rate depending on your body weight, all the factors, right? It's, they've gotten that down to a pretty good science. And I don't know if we have done that with cannabis and weed, right? I mean, like, and, you know, I, and again, I'm going back about mm, eight, nine, 10 years. I remember reading something I I forget where I read it. It was something about how if you took a hit off of a joint, your THC in your blood was instantaneously in the hundreds of nanograms, whatever the hell it is, right? And certain states might have like a certain level, if you have so much THC in your blood that you are considered by law under the influence of it. And where I work, it is. It's a certain level and it's pretty low. Um, I don't know what the body, how quickly the body gets rid of weed. So that same study that I cite or whatever it was I read a long time ago basically said, you know, after a certain amount, and I don't want to say what it was exactly on the time because I can't remember precisely, but basically your body will half-life that THC after so much time. And then half-life it again, half, 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 half until it's gone. I would want more scientific data on how quickly the body gets rid of that out of your system before we begin to consider that. And I just go from the perspective of, you know, we, we, we carry firearms, we carry weapons, um, you know, we, we, we just don't, I don't think we have enough information to be able to do that at this time. Um, so I'm going to, I would say I'm going <laughs> to punt that, uh, for more information with a no for right now. And, and then again, that's also from the perspective of, you know, it isn't for me 
whenever I've been around it at concerts and stuff, it just stinks. And, um, you know, I've heard, you know, of course, you know, everyone's, you know, there's, oh, it's got all these benefits, et cetera. Okay, great. But I mean, if we're cops and we've got to be able to be on point with um, whatever we got to do, if it's 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever, just come up with something that's standard um, and go with that. And then see, depending upon the different areas of the country that would be more permissible to it versus other areas that won't be. The next question, would you do it again? Yes, without any hesitation. Um, this career has given me a front it is probably cliche. It's, it's a front row seat in tragedy into humor into everything. Um, I think about some of the things I've done, you know, some of the uh, lives I've impacted just little things, you know, and it's like, well, what if I hadn't done it? Would someone else have done it? Maybe. Or would something bad have happened? I don't know. I mean, I think about like, there was this guy um, at the small city. I pulled him over like four or five in the morning and he was 17, 18, 19 years old or whatever. And he is shit faced. His girlfriend's in the car and she's sober. I'm kind of, what the fuck is he driving for? And you're sober. I don't get it, but I arrest him for DWI. And, um, you know, I search him incident to arrest and he had a condom in his pocket. I still, and I made some comment to him like, oh, I must have cock blocked you too, dude. And he got all upset and pissed. But, you know, and he's – he uh, – I take him back and process him. And he's, he was way, way up there. You know, um, I take him back home. He didn't live too far from my little city. Um, and he went to bench warrant almost immediately. Um, he didn't come to court. And I go over to his house. Because he's got a bench warrant, and in my little city, we didn't have a whole lot to do. But if someone's got a bench warrant, they live close by, I'm going to go and try and serve that, take him to jail, do something. And uh, his parents are like, nah, he's at rehab. Uh, oh, okay. We'll have his lawyer check in with the court. See you later. Sorry to bother you. Fast forward several years, and I'm in my little city, and it's nighttime, and uh, – it's not a dark and stormy night. I don't remember the weather, but I stopped a car for whatever. And uh, there's a couple dudes in the car. Walk up to the driver. And he's like, hey, hey, you remember me, man? I'm like, and no one's ever heard that before, right? Hey, do you remember me? And uh, I was like, how would I remember you? Uh, you know, and I get his driver's license and uh, you know, doesn't ring a bell right off the bat. 
he goes, yeah, man, you arrested me for, you know, I was with my, uh, I was with my girlfriend. I was like, oh yeah, I cock blocked you. <laughs> nice. And his, his buddies, they, they started laughing at him. And, uh, I was like, well, hey, how's it going, dude? I mean, and, and now mind you, the, he was the designated driver that night. These guys, they're just, they're shit faced. I was like, are you drinking tonight? He's like, no, 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 dude. I got to tell you, man. Uh, the night you arrested me was the last night I had a drink of alcohol in my life. I was like, whoa, hey, you're clean and sober. He's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, well, congratulations. That's cool. And I cut him loose. And I think about that, you know. You know, like we were talking about earlier with people – you know, the malcontents, you know, when they're ready to, to, to make a change. That was his moment when he was ready to make a change. And he made that change. He did that. He, he needed my help in a way. He needed the pain of being arrested and court and lawyers and shit. But he did that. And it felt kind of good to be like, oh, hey, I was the start of that change for him. And, you know, good for that guy, you know, and, and best of luck, you know. So it's stuff like that. Absolutely, yes, I would do it all over again. What are you going to do when you retire? You're getting kind of close. What are your plans? <sighs> That's a great question. And I've been being, I've, you know, I've made it no secret, you know, yeah, I'm going to punch out here, you know, uh, down, you know, in a few years. And I, and I honestly, I don't know. Um, I know I want to do something that um, makes a difference, but it's not going to be with a caseload and having a badge. Um, in the last few years, I've been able to, um, get into, um, learning about and teaching resiliency. And I, I, I'm not sure how it will look, but maybe that's something I want to do in my retired life is sending that message out to first responders, not just cops, but yes, to, um, the hose heads and to our 911 dispatchers, to our, um, domestic violence and sexual assault advocate community, something along those lines where, um, you know, we all see, shit right we see trauma we see secondary trauma we deal with secondary trauma um and i wish that they had we didn't know that when i went when i started we didn't know about secondary trauma you know you just she's the old sports analogy you just rub some dirt on it you got back in the game you know uh you just toughed it out and I think that the the incidents of suicide teach us that we got to do something else. 
And lately I've, 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 I've been to a couple of trainings in my area and great guys putting on training and they talk about resilience <clears throat> and this might ruffle some feathers and I'm not trying to, I, I just ask guys and gals to have a perspective on this and think about this. The resiliency training that these people have been talking about is along the lines of go out, work out, exercise, availability or resiliency. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's missing one piece. The kind of resiliency I've been learning about is like mo in the moment kind of resiliency. Um, when you just get flooded, when you're just overwhelmed, stressed out, uh, you just kind of learn how to like ground yourself and figure out like, oh, okay, you know, I, I can get through this, right? It's the kind of stress like, Maybe like what a trainee experiences on FTO and they, you know, like you described earlier, you said your friend in the academy froze up, right? They were flooded and overwhelmed, right? So their, their little brain was overwhelmed and maybe your friend and maybe not, maybe they were a, a fitness freak and a workout freak, but you know, there could be some very fit in shape people who get overwhelmed in this job. Okay. It's, you know, your, your physical health is one thing. Your physical fitness is one thing, but it's our brains that are driving our decision-making. It's our brains that are driving how we operate in this job. We, you know, it's, it's, we've heard the phrase mind over matter. Um, you know, they, you can get through situations with, you know, if your brain has the ability to tell your body or lie to your body, like, Hey, you know, this isn't so bad. We're going to get through this. Uh, I, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to, um, military history. Thanks to my dad, you know, being in the army nerd might be a strong word. Uh, look at the Navy seals. For example, they put their trainees into the ocean and, roll them around the sand and make them carry logs um, and then put them back in the ocean again. Right. And the ocean's fucking cold. Right. And some of the strongest people, physically fit people, they go in the ocean for a few minutes and they are done. Right. Uh, and then you get some of these guys and they're in the ocean and they got a smile on their face proverbially, or they, they, they smile through the pain and they, there's, there's just absolutely nothing that will make them quit. They, those are the kinds of people, the resiliency that I want to, you know, that I want to tap into and I want to figure out how to do that. Um, before I retire uh, and perhaps in my uh, retirement career. I'm not sure though. You know, it's just, I'm keeping a, an, keeping an open mind on it. It's going to depend on where I relocate to. I'm, you know, where I'm at now, I might relocate somewhere Eastern United States, um, Midwest, you know, cause um, you know, this area is, it's beautiful up here, but you know, I might, I might be up for a change. So it really depends. You know, I I'm keeping an open mind on that.
what's the stupidest thing you did as a rookie? <laughs> I think I was like a couple weeks off of I got released at the small department the first time and oh god I I stop a guy for whatever and he had a suspended license and so I back then I mean everyone went into handcuffs because I was gonna and this is before Arizona versus Gantt because search every car incident to arrest and um so I cut the due to citation and um, his ticket. I'm going to give him a ride to wherever. And I drop him off and I come back and I'm like, where the fuck is my ticket book? And uh, the state police call. And they're like, uh, hey, uh, we found a, a ticket book out here on the, out on the freeway. I put my fucking infraction book. I'd stuck it up onto my light bar. <laughs> and when I took the freeway to drop this dude off, it of course flew out. It got run over, driven over. Uh, yeah. That whole book of tickets got destroyed. Um, preserved the citation I'd written the dude. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I was like, Oh God, right. It was just like right after I'd gotten off of uh, training. So that was just like, Oh boy, really? Um, and, and I, uh, there was another time not too long after that. I had been dealing with a dude at my station and in custody. I kick him loose and the fire department's calling for uh, police assistance, you know, hustle down here, combative patient. And so I go flying down there and I'm, with the fire crew and I tap my hip and I'm like, I left my gun at the station. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, it was a small city. Uh, so um, the, the, the combative patient was uh, under control. I'm like, um, you guys good. Okay. Cause I got to go. Uh, thanks. See ya. Sorry. And psh. yeah, just a little, just, mm just little things like damn it um but uh nothing to where uh i was uh yeah just just little stupid shit you know um like that um you know i i feel blessed you know that in my career that you know i haven't had like you know the the massive big um tragic anything happen um on my time not that i don't think i could have done anything about it it's uh you know i've i've had a good i've had a good 25 years so far um and i feel fortunate for that like i said i've still got my body intact um i feel in my soul good um you know jesus take the wheel every day for me you know um, you know, I'll speak to that really quick too. If there's any guys out there and gals, you know, people of faith, um, stick to that, you know, and even the ones, some of you out there, if you're skeptical of it, you know, um, you know, I, I, you know, we're imperfect people out here dealing with, you know, 
real, we're dealing with absolute shit bags, you know, but, um, and, you know, you put your problems onto a higher power and it's incredible how you can really lighten your load, you know, um, you know, and that's just that, that, that's just something if you got, if you got buddies, you know, they're carrying around a tremendous weight. And if you're somebody of faith, man, just try and tap into that with them, you know, in a gentle way or just pray for them too, you know, um, you know, have compassion and empathy for those people and just give it to, give it to God, give it to a higher power, um, whatever your faith is, you know, um, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, and, I, I will not profess to be a perfect person far from it. I'm a very imperfect person. We all are. And man, um, I've always found that you just give over your issues to give over everything to him. And you can just lighten that load on yourself and, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness and, and atone for your mistakes and, look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm going to do better next time. That's all you can do. Just try to do the best you can. You got a good dildo story. <sighs> good God. The, the small city, I didn't have any dildo experiences, but at the larger city, um, we, 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 we had a guy, Oh, I've had a couple of dildo experiences. Gosh, this guy, uh, we get a tip on this guy for, uh, CP. And, uh, so we get a warrant for this, his residence and we, you know, go in there we hook him up. Hey, you're under arrest for a uh, possession of, uh, bad pitchers, dude. And, uh, so my partner is dealing with him and I'm the, pitcher guy and we had a lot of help tossing the residents and this guy had a suitcase in his bedroom and they opened the suitcase and the suitcase is full of a, you know, adult level, you know, porn and this massive fucking shiny pink dildo. And they mounted on top of his suitcase, like a trophy, you know, and I'm going and psh, 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 and I take a picture of that thing. And it's just, I mean, it's just ginormous. And I like wince, like, fuck it. And, and, and our, and our arrest, he wasn't a big dude. It's like, really? What does he do with that? Thing? It's just huge. It's, it, it's over a foot long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if the, if the, if the dildo could talk, it would say, come to butthead. Um, it was, it was just massive. Um, and before that, a few years while I was on patrol, we, we, students driving around a stolen truck and, uh, we, and he wrecked out in this thing and we arrest him and he developed a sudden case of incarceritis. And so we look at the truck for his ID and other things and, Rolling around on the fucking floorboard of his truck is this big fucking black dildo. And you shine and I could shine my light on this thing and see it's like this thing looks like it's been used. It just it looks streaky. It just, you know, it just yeah. And then and and to add insult to injury, this guy, his BO 
um, when we were at the hospital with him, um, I had to evacuate out of his room. I don't know how the medical professionals could deal with it. This guy just fucking stunk like he had bathed in his own shit for about a week. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't mind looking at gunshots. I don't mind it looking, you know, I, you know, if I go to the coroner's office and they're, you know, doing autopsies, um, if I'm in the little room where I don't have to smell anything, I'm fine with it. I can look at about anything. I can hear anything, but smells, <sighs> I, you know, the, yeah. And this dude's BO is just, it was over the top and hats off to those medical professionals that could deal with his smell. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you got a good dead guy story. Well, the first one, when I was that intern, um, I picked up the dude's, you know, they were, you know, I picked up the dude's leg because we had to put him into the coroner's bag. And my impression was, I feel like I'm holding a cold can of soda pop that I'm pulling out of the freezer because it was fucking wintertime. He'd been out there all day. It was cold as hell. So it's just like, I mean, the dude was just stiff as a board, right? And um, I know it's nothing dramatic. Um the best one in our larger city that I went to, and I'm I'm glad I missed out on this one. But I saw the photos. Um, this guy in the um, assisted or the low income apartments that we have. This dude had no family, and he died, and he left his heater on, and it took probably like three or four weeks for the neighbors to be fed up with the smell. And, uh, and one of our sergeants goes in there, opens the door and he goes and to lift the dude up. And the dude's like gut is like bloated and it literally just. <laughs> you know, um, my first fatality there at the larger city was pretty good. Um, this dude, uh, you know, this is the last one I got. Um, he, uh, he, um, he was intoxicated, you know, we later learned, but he, uh, crossed the center line and, and, you know, of, of the highway, that goes through our, our jurisdiction. And he, uh, you know, he kind of did a Dale Earnhardt into this, uh, concrete kind of like sign thing. Like it was like a concrete kind of like a bollard thing that held like the sign for this business. And he squared up into this thing. Like if you ever, if, if you don't know the Dale Earnhardt reference, people just YouTube Dale Earnhardt Daytona fatal crash. Um, he hit the wall at like 200 miles an hour and, um, basically, you know, broke his neck. Um, and this guy did the same thing. Um, he, uh, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He probably hit it about 50 miles an hour, went through the, he went into the windshield. Um, you know, it was really cool. Like how, 
everything just matched up with like all the physics of his body, you know, like, you know, uh, a body in motion tends to stay in motion, body at rest tends to stay at rest. And his car went from 50 to zero in about, you know, in a microsecond and accordioned into this, uh, uh, concrete post before bouncing off of it. But in the meantime, his body is still going 50 miles an hour and the crash geeks out there can understand this stuff. Um, in his body, he just went right into the windshield and, uh, um, some neighbors, you know, heard the wreck happen. I mean, like it, it was just this mat. It sounded like an explosion, um, cause someone called from a couple blocks away and, uh, I was first on scene, um, and some, uh, you know, these neighbors had pulled the dude out of the car and my very first chest compression of this guy for trying to do CPR. I just, I just <laughs> down into his, you know, I mean, just everything just is destroyed and I can just smell like this little whiff and it's like, Oh, he was drinking. Okay. Um, and he, he was, he was DRT. He, again, he busted his neck and, um, his leg was all fucked up and multiple injuries. Uh, it was pretty spectacular, um, uh, trauma he had, he had had, but it was from this car crash, you know, he had a little dog with him and the dog survived. The dog was a okay. Thank God. Um, and dude just, uh, yeah, he, uh, he did a Dale Earnhardt into that sign. Um, so that was pretty spectacular. Um, that's quite a word to use to describe it, but man, that's a friendly reminder. Kids don't drive drunk and wear your fucking seatbelt. Yeah. In that circumstance, you may have been fucked anyway, hitting a wall at 50. He, he, yeah, he was, it was probably 50 maximum. You know, he, um, this, the, we had the, the crash geeks from the state police do a workup on it. They didn't even bother with speed, but, um, yeah, he really, you know, it, it was, it was pretty, uh, you know, it, it was just classic physics, you know, um, and, uh, um, you know, I've, I've had some good, uh, you know, you know, some, some of my active cases are actually probably even better stories, but I can't talk about those right now. Um, you know, it, it, it yeah, I, I think about, you know, some of the, uh, um, you know, the worst one I had, and this is going to go, I'm going to touch on something, uh, the worst one I had though was a, a kid at the time. And this is a lesson I think that about personalizing the job. Um, I had a kid, this was when I was helping out, you know, in that when I was at the smaller agency helping out, you know, on the detective um, multi-agency group. And uh, I go to this city and they had a kid who had died and he had um, hung himself and it was not a suicide. Um, he, it was an accident. And by the time I got there, it had been a couple hours. And I get there, and the kid is laying there, and you know he's not covered up with a sheet or anything like that. And he's laying there, and he looks asleep. And I learned the kid is like a month or two in difference with one of my kids. And 
it took me months to deal with that. I that, that, that having that kid, the dead kid being so close in age to my kid, I took that on board in a bad way and it burned. I mean, I could feel a burning sensation in my chest for months and I had to talk to somebody about that. Like, what the fuck am I dealing with here? And, and I, you know, and, and that goes to, you know, asking for help. And I'll go back to that question you asked earlier about what's changed. Um, wellness and mental health. Uh, that's been a big change. And we need to keep pushing that, I think. We need to keep on with the theme of, you know, if, if you have issues, get help with them. Get help right now. Don't wait. Um, it, it, it's like the old saying with attorneys, an attorney who represents himself as a fool for a client. Don't try and diagnose your own shit. Get help. Get someone objective that can help you with your stuff. And I didn't have to do anything radical with this stuff. I just had to talk to someone and talk it through and process it. And once I did, it's like, okay. And it, you know, and I got through that. And it also taught me too, like that burning I was feeling in my chest, that negative sensation was something that, you know, I tied into my recent training in resiliency is um, we can shift away from those negative things that we notice and feelings that we have, if we focus on things that are more positive in our life, right? Um, I think for you, for example, you could think about a Crown Victoria and you'd probably notice good sensations, right? Um, when you think about a Crown Victoria, what, I'm going to reverse this on you. When you think about a Crown Victoria, what does that do for you? What do you notice? You don't want to know. Oh, lay it on me. It's okay. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy and gooey inside. You know what it you know what I feel? And 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 this is kind of uh something that some people in the comments will always say is the only reason people like Crown Vix is because it reminds you of the good old days. Well, you know what? It does remind me of the good old days. And what do the good old days feel like to you? I just want to let you know that I asked you for your favorite dead guy story and you told me four and now I'm being questioned. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I don't know. The good old days feel like being able to be the police, having fun with my friends. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And those are probably things that are kind of cool and pleasant feelings, right? And that's what I'm, that's what, that's what the basis of this resiliency is about is just shifting our perspective from fuck. I'm, you know, I've got all this negative shit. Okay. Let me try and shift to something that's more positive. Right. Um, one way you can do this right now while you're listening to this podcast on whatever streaming service. If you've got your cell phone, go on your cell phone and find a photo on your cell phone, the most recent one of a family member, of a loved one, your 
favorite dog. Uh, if you're religious, it could be a spiritual thing. Uh, if you like nature and hiking or whatever, look at that one photo right now. It could be your crown Victoria. Uh, if you like collectible cars, it could be that car. Look at that photo and notice the feelings and sensations you feel that are happy and positive. Do that and sit with those Okay, this isn't touchy-feely shit. This stuff works. It's biology. And the more you do that, the more you're going to get out of and away from these negative feelings and you're going to be in something better. I guarantee it. Like the suit guy. Okay? Um, just try it. I've tried this with recruits at the academy. Um I got to guest instruct a couple of classes at our academy. And right away, they're all smiling. They're laughing. It's like, hey, share what you got. Oh, yeah, this is my dog, Fido. And or, oh, yeah, this is my family. This is my kids. This is my wife. And this is when we went on vacation. Blah, 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 blah. And everyone, it, it just lightens the mood. Just try it. Just try it and see what happens. Okay, I bet you'll notice something a lot better. So we've uh, we've run into a little bit of a time barrier, so I got to skip some of my questions, but we're going to hit the high points. Good, sir. In your humble opinion, what is the best patrol car of all time? I only had it for a very short amount of time um, when it comes to performance and all the uh, and durability and getting around in the snow, getting around in any kind of weather. It And this isn't, I'm not a brown noser here. Um, I, honest to God, uh, over Cherokees, over Interceptors, over Tahoes, I did like driving a Crown Victoria. We won't now, be here's the most important moment of all. We all know it's coming. I'm going to come. What is the truth? Have you ever shit your pants? I have had a couple of sharding moments. You know, when you think you're, oh, it's only a fart and it's just a little bit more than that. Um, at the little agency you, you, that I worked at, you could get away with doing some firefighter type shifts where if you're not feeling well and calling in sick would fuck over another guy that have to come in and cover for you. I'm like, I'm just going to tough this out. I had some food poisoning a few times and, yeah, I you know, I was like, oh, crap. And, uh, yeah, I had to, uh, you know, do like this cycle of both uh, number two liquid and puking and and then had to sink wash uh, my underpants because I didn't have a spare set there. Not too bad, but, you know, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I don't want to deal with like. Uh, you know, I don't like, uh, yeah. So yeah, I've had, I've had to, it's a shart. Yeah. You know, 
I, I've talked to some guys that work at small agencies about that whole firefighter shift thing. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just fucking call out? And they're like, dude, most of the time we don't have to do anything anyway, so I'll be fine. But I'll tell you what, man, it's that one time you get some shit show of a call and you're outside on a perimeter or something and you're fucking puking and shitting your brains out. You're going to think that was a really shitty idea, pun intended. That exactly happened to me. I, it, it, in the middle of the night, I, I, I raised the white flag of surrender. I could not carry on anymore. And I called my day shift relief. I was going to come in. I'm like, bro, you've got to come in. I, 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 you know, I'm sorry, dude. I just can't go another minute. Oh, okay. 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 I got you, man. So I just, I, I, I don't have my belt on. I've got my vest on under my shirt. I've got my head down on a desk and I got the radio next to me. And I'm was like, Oh, good God. Oh, and the neighboring agency gets dispatched to a traffic collision right on our border. And I'm like, Oh fuck, please don't let it be northbound. Please. No. And he gets there and he's like, Oh yeah, this is a northbound crash. I need a <laughs> calls for me. I'm like, fuck. Grab my radio. And it, it was funny how in that moment, my body, like, I don't know what happened, but a switch got flipped in me, some adrenaline or something where it's like, okay, got to go to work. Even though my I, I'm racked with whatever food poisoning I've got, something happened and I got just this shot of adrenaline and it's like, okay. And I chimed up I'm like, all right, I'm in route. I'm like, God damn it. My relief's going to be here any minute, but I throw my stuff on and okay, I'm going to, and um, I hustle down there and I'm, and it's weird how I'm like, God, I feel fine now. It's amazing what adrenaline can do. And uh, yeah, there's this nice new convertible that's wrecked out and no one's around and no plates are on it. I'm like, okay. Um, hey, my relief's coming in. I've got this. Cool. Um, and he clears and uh, um, my relief, he happened to pass me like ships in the night as I was going to the call. Like, oh, there he is. Cool. He'll be here in just a few minutes. And he chimes up. I'm on the way. And He's there in just a few minutes. I'm like, oh, thank God, because I'm starting like the adrenaline's wearing off, and I'm just, and I'm not feeling well at all. I'm, I'm in, I'm about forty percent. I clear, go out of service. I later learn that the driver of that car, uh, she's this crazy chick. Um, she wrecks and she runs away. At the same time, there was a hobo dude that the state police had dropped off in our area. And the hobo dude saw the wreck. Um, and the hobo dude says, hey, are you okay? And like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, and the hobo dude and the crazy chick kind of sneak away into the bushes. And they were able to find her because these two ended up doing the dirty deed in the bushes together. <laughs> God bless America. On that note, I think smooth operator would have been another one too. Well, I I'm not I don't have that many buttons, man. I got so many. Yeah. 
I can pick from. You're, you're forgiven. On that note, do you have any words of wisdom for the millions and billions and trillions of listeners of this podcast? Stay humble. Stay resilient. Um, keep doing what you're doing and day in and day out. And... You know, we, we all got into this job for our own reasons and uh, just get through it, go through the finish line in one piece, um, get that help that you need, take care of your families, take care of yourselves, you know, take care of yourself first. Like if you're on an airplane, you got to get the oxygen mask first, take care of yourself first so you can be there for your family take care of them, take care of your partner and your coworkers, um, stay on them if they're starting to slip. Okay. Do it out of love, not out of nagging. Okay. Um, you know, we're all fighting the good fight. We're not in this. We're not represented by the tiny, tiny, tiny infinitesimal minority. We're all, good people in this thing trying to do the best we can. Um, this is the best career I could have picked and I'd do it all over again, man. On that note, you guys know what to do. Take care of the fine, fine sponsors of the podcast. We'll have some new people showing up around soon. So make sure you make them feel welcome as well as the people that have been around for a while. So, uh, I can't do this without the the law enforcement owned businesses that uh, help me do this. So it helps me, helps you, helps them. We all help each other. We all itch and scratch each other's backs. It makes the world go round because I will not ever have a fucking corporate sponsor because fuck all those people. And uh, if you guys like what I'm doing, obviously, I do have the uh, link at the end. You guys can click on that and send me a couple bucks each month. It really fucking helps out again. Small business here, small shitty owned business, small poorly made run business here. So anything you guys do is super helpful. Check out Ghost Patch, my spring store, all the awesome things you guys do. I do not deserve you. In fact, I can't believe anybody listens. I'm still shocked to this day. With that said, remember, we haven't had a happy ending in a while. Bukaki semen did her in the ass. And I love most of you. Bye-bye.